Remember that feeling of joy, like a spark of light, being innocent and free, like an evening breeze on a summer night. But then a slight change as the north wind blows, the shame of sin as addiction takes hold, feeling darkness close as the doors start to close. The unrelenting march of winter has won. It seems the occupation has begun. White flags, hands up, darkness assumes the throne. But then a flicker of light in the dead of night. The opposition is nervous. They heard the wounded healer has joined the fight. Resurrection, the glimmer of his battle scars makes the night take flight. Insurrection, we're emboldened. That's why there's more of us now, right? We've been locked up, but he set us free. We once were blind, but now we see. We no longer retreat because we've tasted and seen. And now we believe that the darkness will not overcome the light. Praise God. The darkness will not overcome. God has brought you here today. God has brought you here today. You thought that was your idea, but the Bible says no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So just the fact that you're here today is proof that God is working dynamically in your life. And friends, we're expecting some miracles this week. Man, God blessed us into a good start uh, last night. If you were able to be here, praise God. If you weren't, we're going to catch you up this morning. Uh, but I anticipate God doing some miraculous work. What about you? In John 2.10, it says, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. May you be glorified and uplifted in Jesus' name. Amen. The poet Richard Crashaw said that the conscious water, the, un, the conscious water saw their God and blushed. Man, if you had to choose just one word to sum up uh, the Gospel of John, it would have to be the word transformed. Chapter 1, darkness is transformed into light. Chapter 2, water is transformed into wine. Chapter 3, Nicodemus, a religious leader, is transformed. Chapter 4, a woman with a reputation is transformed. In chapter 5, a paralytic at Bethesda is transformed. Chapter 6, five loaves and two fish are transformed. And my friends, that is what the Darkness Will Not Overcome series is all about. I believe God is in the business of transforming lives. My life is proof that we serve a God who transforms. And in every single presentation, we are looking at one of seven signs in the Gospel of John. They make up the first half of John's book. John's Gospel has been called the Book of Signs. In every sign, we are going to build on the other, helping us gain a better picture of who God is in Christ and what God's plan is for your life. I don't want to leave here as the same person I was when I got here, amen? New creation. And John, in the end of his book, tells us why he selected some signs 
and not others. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in him. Our first sign is at a wedding. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. But very quickly, they run into a problem. They run out of wine. Now, in our culture, that doesn't seem like very much. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But in this time and place, this was a huge deal. First century weddings were a community event. The entire town would have been invited. I mean, these, these parties could last up to seven days. To run out of wine would not only have shamed the host, but it would have shamed the family. It would have shamed the entire town. The Bible says that Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples, which is why some have suggested that the reason the wedding ran out of wine was because Jesus brought too many uninvited guests. Hallelujah, with my Savior, there is always room for more. You know, that's what I love about Jesus. You know, wherever he goes, you see the riffraff, the, you know, the whores and the hillbillies, the hotheads and the dopeheads. Jesus loved the broken and the beaten down. Jesus was surrounded by rascals, which is good news because I was a rascal for very much of my life. We serve, in a, we serve a God of transformation. When it comes to changing lives, God always has room for more. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. You see, I want you, what I want you to understand today is that we are all running on something. Every single one of us here are running on something. In the secular culture, we love, uh, they love to say that they don't worship anything and that they're progressive and it's, you know, it's just all about science and this. But in reality, friends, we all worship something. And if you don't worship God, you'll worship something else. If you don't worship God, you'll worship your career. But what do you do when you lose your job? You know, when you worship your good looks, what do you do when, when you lose the good looks, when you lose the youth? You see, the problem with money is it runs out. The problem with popularity, man, it runs out. The problem with everything in this life is that it runs out. So we got to tap into something that cannot run out. That no matter what happens, no matter where we are in life, we can tap into something bigger and stronger and more able in our lives. If we want to experience a miracle, we have got to become willing to do what Mary did. This is the first sign, this is the first step in experiencing new creation. We have to do what Mary did. What did she do? Well, she comes to Jesus and she says, I'm empty. She comes to Jesus and she says, we've run out. We've got to come to Jesus today and say, Lord, what I've been doing hasn't been working. I've been running on steam. I've been running on this, but the things of this world always run out. We've got to come to Jesus and we've got to get honest. The first principle 
in, in overcoming the darkness is we've got to get honest. We've got to stop pretending that we don't have problems. We've got to stop acting like we got it all together. You know, we show up when our Adventist, in, in, in the Adventist culture, you know, you show up and, and you know, happy Sabbath. But half the time it ain't happy Sabbath. We'd be saying sorry Sabbath. Hurting Sabbath. You know? Lonely Sabbath. Broken Sabbath. The common response when you ask someone, you know, how are you doing? It's, oh, I'm fine. But if truth would be told, I'm not fine. I'm hurting. I'm broken. See, we all are running on something, and I'm here to tell you today, if it isn't Jesus, it's not going to last. And so we've got to come to him, get honest, get real, and admit we need him. We need to admit we need him. The problem with honesty is that uh, denial is a powerful thing. Not just for people who struggle with addiction. Man, we all struggle with denial. Denial is a powerful thing. In fact, one pastor said, our lives run on denial like cars run on gasoline. There is a children's story a book, a children's book called There's No Such Things as Dragons. It's the story of a boy named Billy who sees a small dragon at home one day and he runs up to his mom and he says, Mom, there's a dragon. To which the mom replies, Son, there's no such thing as dragons. And at first the dragon is small, it's manageable, it's about the size of a cat. And the mom keeps saying there's no such thing as a dragon. And every time she says it, the dragon gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets bigger. And the bigger the dragon gets, the more problems it causes. You know, the more wreckage it does. And finally, the dragon becomes bigger than the house. And finally, the dad comes home and he, and he asks, you know, what in the world happened? And Billy says, it was the dragon. And mother begins to say, there's no such thing as, and Billy interrupts her and says, no mom, there is a dragon. There is a very big dragon. And slowly they begin to see it. Slowly they begin to acknowledge the elephant or dragon in the room. And the more they acknowledge it and recognize it and admit it and get honest about it, the smaller and smaller it gets until it is back to that size of a cat. And in the end, mom asks, you know, why did it have to get so big? And Billy says, I think it was because it just wanted to be noticed. You see, friends, problems don't go away just because we ignore it. Problems don't go away just because we pretend that they're not there. In fact, if we ignore something, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. And the more we ignore it, the more damage it causes. The first step... In the 12 steps is we admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and our lives had become unmanageable. Now, maybe you don't struggle with addiction. That's okay. You can still identify with this statement. So maybe you don't struggle with addiction or alcoholism. I want you to insert in that blank what you do struggle with. We admitted we were powerless over, maybe it's a, a besetting sin, you know, maybe it's a dysfunctional way of thinking. You know, maybe it's a bad situation. Maybe it's pride. You know, maybe it's greed. Maybe it's control. You've always got to be in control. You can't ever let go. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a person that's a pain. 
Come on, we all got people like that in our life. Lord, help me. I am powerless over this person at work. (laughs) Help me. Step one is often summed up with two words. I can't. I can't. You know, for me, I had to come to a place where I said, you know what? I can't quit using. I can't use successfully. I cannot stop using on my own. I had tried so many times before and I can't. My family didn't have to say they can't when it came to drugs. They had to accept their powerlessness over me, their son. And that's hard for parents to do. You know, often uh, my, my parents would come up to me and my mom would say, Richie, could we have done something differently? You know, could we have done this right? Could we have done this? And you know, that's what we do as parents. We think if we did it just right. But here's the thing. You're not that powerful. You're not that powerful. And when, when we get to a certain age, we make our own decisions, our own choices. And we got to be there and we want to encourage them. But you can do everything right. And people can still make the wrong decision. You see, I can't control other people. I had to say, I can't stop using. My family had to say, I can't make Richie stop using. They were powerless over me. I wonder, what's your I can't today? Maybe it's I can't stop lying. Maybe it's I can't stop look, going to that website and looking. Maybe it's I can't stop stress eating and overeating. Maybe it's I can't stop people pleasing. Maybe it's I can't stop getting into toxic relationships. God just delivered you from, from one. And here you're right back in that same situation. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. What is your I can't let go of control? I can't let go. I can't stop gossiping. Most 12 steps in the meetings, some hand out these little medallions that commemorate consecutive clean time. Some pass out key tags that commemorate consecutive clean time. Because, you know, for an addict to go just one day clean is a miracle. Yeah, it is. It, just one day. So they'll give out 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months. And then it gets to where they just give out one once a year. They, they recognize that, that triumph because one day clean for an addict or an alcoholic is an absolute miracle. Come on. For some of us to just make it through one day without lying, that's a miracle. For some of us to make it through just one day without gossiping, that's a miracle. For some of us to make it through one day without interrupting, without trying to take over. That's a miracle. Come on. Man, for some of us, just to make it through the day with a smile is a miracle. What's your I can't? But all the key tags and coins begin with one. Before you can pick up the 30 days, before you can pick up the 60 days, before you get to any of that, you first have to pick up that white medallion, that white key tag. Because you see, white is the international color of surrender. It's surrendering that, you know what, what I've been doing hasn't been working. It's not quitting the fight. It's just you stop fighting in your own strength. You surrender to join the winning side. No one likes to surrender, though, because we think it's weak. You know, that's weakness. I can't surrender. I can do this. I can handle this. 
But the reality, friends, strength, surrender isn't weakness, it's strength. Paul says, my grace is all, God says to Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. You see, friends, this is why sometimes Jesus has to let your wine run out. You see, had the wedding never run out of wine, they never would have experienced the miracle. It was only after I reached the end of my rope that I reached out and took the hand of God. It wasn't until I finally hit bottom that I found out God was the rock at my bottom. Sometimes we have to lose everything to realize that God is ultimately all we really need. Surrendering means to stop relying on our own power and start relying on God's power. It means to stop fighting the battle of sin in our strength and start fighting the battle in God's strength. You see, Mary knows that she can't turn the water into wine, which is why Mary says, she comes up to Jesus, she says, do whatever he tells you, and then she just walks away. Check it out, she didn't get on a pity pot, woe is me, and complain about it. She didn't bite her nails and worry about it. She didn't form a committee to talk about it. Man, she brings her problem to Jesus and then she just walks away. You see, that's the point of this series. And those of us who think we don't need this series, you need it the most. That's denial speaking. Man, we need the gospel more than ever because times are dark. This week, I want you to bring your biggest problem, your toughest situation. I want you to bring it to Jesus and then walk away. Jesus didn't even say he was going to do it. That's what I love about Mary's faith. You know, sometimes the Adventist church were kind of hard on Mary. But man, of all the people God chose to be his mother, it was Mary. She had faith. She had faith. Mary didn't tell Jesus. Jesus didn't even say he was going to do it. But Mary knows that if anyone can do it, it's Jesus. So I might as well just give it to him and walk away. Mary didn't tell Jesus how to perform the miracle. Hey, Jesus, I need need more wine. Tell the disciples, go down to Publix. You know, the one on 5th. They had got a great sale on Welch's grape juice. But how often do we pray like that? (laughs) All right, Lord, this is what I'm going to need you to do. If you could go down and deal with this, and Lord, take care of this problem, and, and then I need you to deal with that problem. Man, we don't bring our problems to God and walk away. We bring our problems to God, we lay them down, we pick them up. We lay them down, we pick them up. We lay them down, we pick them up. And that's if we lay them down at all. And we get into this spiritual tug of war that's killing us. We keep confessing sins that he doesn't remember. We keep telling God how to do his job. What do you know about how to turn water into wine? What do you know about forming planets? What do you know about new creation? Let me tell you how much you know. Zip. Nada. See, we've got to get honest. I don't know, but I know someone who does. Since what I've been doing hasn't been working, I'm going to start doing whatever he tells me. I'm going to start doing whatever he tells me. 
And friends, that's simple, but it's not easy. Don't confuse simple with easy. Do whatever he tells you. You want less stress? Do whatever he tells you. You want better relationships? Do whatever he tells you. You want more joy? You want more peace? Man, start doing what he tells you. You want better health? Start doing what he tells you. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Check it out. Transformation only took place after God's word was taken seriously. You know, friends, we live in a time and an age where we don't want to take God's word seriously. I once heard the Bible being compared. Most of us want to treat the Bible like trail mix. You know, we take out the pieces we like and we want to dump the rest. Man, you get those M&Ms. There's not an M&M that makes it away from the trail mix. Amen? The raisins, you know, those are going to go. But man, those, the chocolate, hallelujah. Transformation only took place after God's word was taken seriously. Transformation requires participation. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save them? Basically, if you say you believe something, but you don't practice that belief, James is saying it's worthless. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead also. Man, let's be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Man, Paul's talking about denial. You're kidding yourself. You know when Jesus told the servants to fill the jars with water, they were thinking, how in the world is water going to help my wine problem? Man, how many times have you prayed for one thing and God answered with something else? Lord, how's this supposed to help me with my financial problem? Lord, how's this supposed to help me with my relationship problem? Lord, how's this supposed to help my loneliness problem? Did you not hear me, Jesus? I need wine. I don't need water. Friends, if we're honest, let's be real. Often God does not make sense. But you need to know today that's good news because that means that, that, you know, if God always made sense, then he would be no bigger than your sense. And that's not a lot. Hallelujah. God is bigger than my brains. You cannot compartmentalize him. You cannot paralyze him. You cannot figure God out. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today, that is a good thing. Often God doesn't make sense returning a faithful tithe when we're going through financial problems. That doesn't make sense. Keeping the seven-day Sabbath versus any other day. I mean, I mean, why should it matter? Every day looks the same, man. Smells the same, acts the same. It doesn't make sense. Why should it matter? But here's the thing, friends. If you only obey the parts of the Bible that make sense, then Jesus isn't really the Lord of your life. He's a glorified assistant. You run things by him, but ultimately you're in control. You're running, you're calling the shots. But until God is not only, you see, we live in a culture, we want Jesus to be our savior, but we don't want him to be our Lord. But you cannot have Christ as savior unless he is also Lord. Man, Jesus solved the wine problem. In a way that nobody would have dreamed of. Which tells me God's got solutions that are bigger than my dreams. Each pot held 30 
20 to 30 gallons. That's like 120, 180 gallons of water. And check it out. They filled it to the brim. So check it out. It was a, it was a heavy, messy process. Welcome to life. You know, that's life. That's faith. It, it, it's not always easy. It's a struggle. It's, it's a wrestle sometimes. It is a heavy, messy process. I mean, sure, it would have been easier if when they drew the water, it was already wine. But it was still water when they drew it, and it was still water when they carried it, and it was still water when they dropped it off. You know there were moments when the servants felt like they were just going through the motions. If we're honest, sometimes church can feel like we're just going through the motions. I mean, even after the servants filled the containers to the brim, it was still water. You know they thought, man, was all this work for nothing? I returned the tithe, Lord, but I'm still broke. Was all this work for nothing? I kept the Sabbath, Lord, but I'm still stressed. Was all this for nothing? I ate right and I lived right, but I got cancer. Was all this work for nothing? We went to the marriage counseling, but still got divorced. Lord, was all this work for nothing? The answer is absolutely not. You see, in John 2, 9, we have this really cool verse. It says, when the master of the feast tasted the water become wine, he did not know where it came from. He didn't see the bigger picture, though the servants... Though the servants who had drawn the water, who were faithful, who did the work, those who participated in the transformation, they saw the fullest extent of the miracle. Had they never gone through the painful experience, they never would have seen the fullness of God's power. You see, there is something about carrying the water, especially when you don't see anything happening. There is something about carrying the water, especially when you don't understand what God's doing. There is something about carrying the water when the devil keeps whispering. There's something about that process. Remember last night we learned that new creation is a process. There is something about the process that changes us. So friends, keep on carrying the water. Man, keep on praying. I want you to keep on claiming I want you to keep on loving. I want you to keep on praising. I want you to keep on trusting. I want you to keep on surrendering. I want you to keep on laying that habit, that hang up, that heartache at the foot of the altar and, and leave it there this time because at some point in the process, your water is getting turned into wine. The servants couldn't see when it happened. But friends, real faith is trusting even when you can't see it happening. Yes, the enemy's going to tell you, you know what, things will never change. This is impossible. This won't work. You know, that family member will always be this way. That child will always be this way. Your spouse will always be this way. You will always be the same. You don't need help. You're fine. Because you see, the enemy wants you to settle for a wedding without wine. The enemy wants you to settle for a salvation with no celebration. Man, sometimes, man, I, man, in heaven, it's going to be one big celebration. Salvation is a glorious thing. It's something to get excited about. The enemy wants you to settle just short of your miracle. 
But you need to know something today, friends. The devil is a liar. You see, he lied to me when he said I could never change. The enemy lied to me when he said I would never get clean and stay clean. He, he lied when he told me I could never quit smoking. He told me when, when he told me I'd never finish school, that I'd never be a preacher. He said I'd never be good enough for God when he told me my marriage was over. But because I got honest about my situation, because I got real with God, when I realized that I had run out of steam and I was willing to surrender my problem, my pain, my addiction to Jesus, his power started manifesting in my weakness. And hallelujah, friends, I got clean. I stayed clean. Man, I quit smoking. I, be I became a preacher for God's glory. Because Christ's good enough, I'm good enough. Man, Brittany and I are going to celebrate 24 years of marriage this year. Hallelujah. God is so good. And you know what? I want to be clear. There's a lot of marriages, on, sadly, that don't make it through situations like that. But that doesn't mean God's not still turning your water into wine. He is. We serve a God who always brings resurrection out of crucifixion. He's going to bring the, something good out of all this pain. What the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Hallelujah, Jesus is turning your water into wine. Man, if Christ can use six plain days to make a planet, he can, if he can use six containers of ordinary water to make wine, he can use the next six presentations to turn our ordinary into something extraordinary. He can turn our mundane marriage into a miracle. He can turn our problem into a promise, our ceremony into a celebration. God can give us revival. He can give you new creation today. Stop settling short of your miracle. You see, according to verse 6, these containers were used for a religious ceremony to perform this miracle, and I believe that was very intentional. You see, God wants his church to be more than just a container of religious ceremony. He wants this place to be a place where lives are changed, where hearts are transformed. Man, this is a hospital for the sick. This isn't a museum for the saints. This is a place for the broken and the hurting to come and encounter the Savior. You see, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. When the master of the ceremony tasted the miracle, he says, where did it come from? Man, people thought the same thing about me when, when I experienced new creation in my life. All of my old friends, man, when I showed up and I started talking to them about my Savior, you know, they all suddenly started disappearing. And they were like, man, what in the world got into Richie? What kind of drug is he on? That's what happens with conversion. It's just like with the wine in this master. He tasted it. He's like, man, where in the world did this come from? You see, conversion has no explanation other than there's got to be a God up in heaven. And let me tell you, the person who never listens to the enemy and, and, and stays with Jesus, that never has to depart, that's just as much as a miracle as the one who departs and comes back. But remember, just as is shared so poignantly in the par parable of the prodigal son, 
that the older brother who never left, his heart was further from the father than the young son who ran far away. We all are got struggles. We got to get honest about our spiritual condition. We got to get real about what we're going through. We got to be honest. See, friends, that's why the church has to be a place of safety for, for, for broken people to share their struggle, to get honest with God. We got to make this place surreal because the first step in experiencing new creation is honesty. And yet because at times we, we, we don't feel like we can't trust each other, sometimes we don't get honest about what we're struggling with, and then people feel incredibly alone. This needs to be a place where we come and you share your story, I share my story, and we start identifying and like, man, if God got a hold of them, God can get a hold of me. Through this sign, Jesus was announcing the arrival, the arrival of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He was announcing new creation had just arrived in Christ. The six jars of purification connected this scene to the Levitical laws of ritual, impurity, and cleansing. But friends, we know those were only signs. Those were only pointers. As the author of Hebrews clearly states, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. It was a dim preview of the good things to come. It was a sign, but it wasn't the actual thing. It, it was of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing. You see, friends, the old way of approaching God had run out of steam. It had run out. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus' response here used to always bother me. It always seemed very harsh and out of character. Nowhere in the Bible, in the Hebrew or the Greek, does someone refer to a mother as woman. I don't know about you, but if I was to say to my mother, woman, I would get what we call in the South a whooping. <laughs> a whooping. Jesus is the only one who could say that because he was older than Mary. <laughs> Jesus is the only person who could ever say that to his mother. But we realize it wasn't a form of disrespect. No, it's something very intentional that the Holy Spirit is having John do here. That Jesus is doing here. And when we read Revelation, the other book that John is involved in, we find the answer. We run into the woman in Revelation 12. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. That's not just the story of Christmas. That is the story of Christianity. Because, friends, the enemy is standing before you, wanting to destroy God in you before you can deliver him to the world. The woman in Revelation is not only referring to Mary, but to all of Christ's followers. And we see this imagery, imagery throughout Scripture. God relates to his church as a groom relates to his bride. We, we find it all over the place. 
2 Corinthians 11.2, I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And you have that beautiful story of Hosea and Gomer, which is just one big story of God's love for the church. When Jesus says to his mother woman, he's not just talking to Mary, he's talking to the church, he's talking to the bride. Another important detail to remember in this scene is that Jesus is single at this wedding party. Jesus is single. And I have often imagined Jesus doing at this wedding what I've seen a lot of singles do in the weddings that I have done. They can sometimes have this faraway look in their eyes because you see they're thinking about their own wedding that hasn't happened yet. You see, they're processing the event. Will I ever get married? Will I find someone who loves me completely, who wants to spend eternity with me, someone who loves me, not for what I'll do for them, but just loves me for me? You see, friends, I believe Jesus was sitting in all that celebration, but was sad. I believe he was thinking of his own wedding. You see, he wants to know when his bride, the church, will finally get ready to be married. You see, friends, the wine, the unfermented fruit of the vine represented the joy and the mirth of the marriage. You could not have a wedding without wine. It it didn't happen. In fact, to run out of wine wasn't just an inconvenience. It was a disgrace on the family. It meant that the wedding party had ended prematurely. It had interrupted the wedding ceremony. Friends, the fall in the Garden of Eden interrupted our wedding ceremony. Man, we left God at the altar and we went on the run. Adam and Eve started running, and man, we've been running ever since. But the good news today is that our God is a better runner than we are. You cannot cannot outrun the grace and the love of God. I've tried. I kept on running, but my God kept on coming. (laughs) Oh, instead of living in our shame, leaving us in our shame. He covered us with his grace. In spite of us, Jesus still wants to get married to you. The problem is we don't have any wine and you can't have a wedding without wine. Well, whenever Jesus referred to my hour, he was always referring to the hour of his death. And so when Jesus' mother says, we are out of wine, Jesus is essentially saying, it's not my time to die yet. You see, what you need to understand, time and time again, we see it in all of the miracles. In fact, in, in in the last sign, that resurrection of Lazarus, the Bible says, from that day forward, the Pharisees planned and pursued to kill Christ. So what you need to understand, for Jesus to perform any sign, any miracle, the only way he could provide the wine was if he committed himself to die. And in Mark 14, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Hallelujah. Jesus has turned our water into wine. And it's not by accident that the Holy Spirit tells John to point out that this sign occurred at the time of the Passover. 
Because it was, remember, John recorded, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christ is our Passover. When our wine ran out, Christ laid down his life so that he could turn our water into wine today. And from Calvary, when Jesus asks for something to drink, he's given the cheap, sour vinegar. The cheap stuff that the soldiers drank. But Jesus, like the host of the wedding party, saved the very best for us. You see, friends, when the world did its worst, heaven gave its very best. Jesus took the sour vinegar of our sin and shame so that we might receive his pure wine of righteousness today. The unconscious waters saw their God and blushed. I want you to let the same thing happen to you today. Look at Calvary. Look at Christ Jesus. Look at his love. Look at what he did for you. Let that transform you. Allow that to take the theology of the head into the transformation of the heart. And this is the first sign Jesus did at Canaan, Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. What about you? Are you ready to get real with Jesus? Are you willing to admit you've been running on something else and you are running out? Are you willing to get honest and, and, and trade your vinegar for his wine? Trade your weakness for his strength? Are you willing to surrender all to Jesus today? Because, friends, everything in this life runs out. I don't care how much money you have, it runs out. The, the money runs out, the jobs run out. Man, when I was using, one was too many and a thousand was never enough. The drugs always ran out. Man, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the significant other, even they can run out. The good looks, the good works. They run out. The only thing in heaven on an earth that'll never run out is Jesus. But you have to make a decision. Man, new creation doesn't happen by accident. You've got to make a decision to surrender all to Jesus. You see, in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Eve made a decision to do what she wanted instead of what God asked her to do. And because of that decision, her and Adam's decision, darkness entered our planet. But hallelujah, the darkness Eve brought into the world with her decision was overcome by the light Mary brought into the world with her decision. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Friends, never underestimate the power of just one decision. Today, friends, God is wanting you to make a decision. Man, throughout this series, we're going to give everyone opportunities to take that next step with him. And friends, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And you can go back out this door, back to the ordinary, or you can make a decision to, to allow God to do the extraordinary. I'm, we're going to put a number on the screen, and, and this is an opportunity for you to make a decision today. I want you to text the word overcome to the number that we are going to put on our screen. 
And this is going to be available throughout the series. You're going to be able to do this. You're going to be, have that opportunity. But let me tell you, you don't want to put off the decision. When you look through the Bible, the constant question is, what are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation. And so when you text overcome, it's going to, it's going to ask you for some information and it's going to give you an opportunity to make a decision. Beginning a relationship with Jesus, getting baptized, receiving Bible studies, talking to someone about an addiction, just talking to someone to get honest with something that you're struggling with. I don't know what that decision is, but you need to make that decision right now. Don't leave this place without making that decision today. Hallelujah, Jesus still wants to get married to us, amen? Man, John begins his gospel with a wedding and the Holy Spirit has him finish revelation with a wedding. <laughs> Hallelujah, what got interrupted in Genesis happens in Revelation. Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride is ready to get married. When the master of the ceremony tasted the wine, he said, usually people serve the best first, but you have saved the best for last. And hallelujah, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, when the gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver and glass, you'll see it, white shores and beyond, a far green country under a swift sunrise, a banquet table. Don't you see Jesus has saved the best for last? Let Jesus' light shine on your darkness right now. Make a decision to get honest with God. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the awesome God that you are. And we are so thankful, Lord, that New creation is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And sometimes we can get overwhelmed with the process, but I, I just pray right now, Lord, we'll just take it one day at a time. But we are guaranteed that he who began the good work in us will continue it and bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus, we Offer that phone number. People are able to text overcome and follow those prompts to make a decision, Lord, that each person here will make that next step with Jesus right now. Lord, they're going to talk to maybe one of the pastors or they're going to come up to me and share with me, Pastor, I want to plan on baptism. Pastor, I want to begin studying your word. Pastor, I want to get honest with someone that I can trust. I need a safe place where I can get real. Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would flutter over our darkness and that we would make that decision right now. We don't get ready and come to Jesus. We come to Jesus and he gets us ready. Everything begins at the foot of the cross. We cannot ever be any better than we are right now. We gotta come to the cross first. Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, decisions will be made for eternity. 
We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.